to one. Welcome the truck. We're live here at the 3PL Summit. I'm Dooner, joined by Michael Vincent, the dude. You enjoying today's festivities? I, I am. I, I actually, yeah, absolutely. I love the 3PL Summit. I love to hear about all the technology, and I love to hear how people are utilizing that technology and the moves. And we're starting to learn what is sticking and what those moves forward that we've been asking have gonna, were going to be all yeah. last year. Right. We're starting for, those, to see it. For, for those of you not familiar with the truck, we broadly address the global trade market business news as well as a podcast that happens three times a week live Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. Well, we're not at virtual events at noon Eastern time on Freightways, LinkedIn, Freightways, Facebook. Also, look it up on your favorite podcast player of choice. Just look up what the truck it's wherever you get podcasts but one of the things we like to do on here is we have an audience all across the spectrum right we do absolutely and i remember joining this business when i started in 2005 at fedex trade networks not understanding anything and one of the reasons i wanted to start a podcast was to make something that people could just listen to and not be like a webinar part of that has been deacronymizing things and i'll tell you one of the reasons why we do that one of the reasons we do what Deacro- um, let's just quash the exactly. acronyms, man. We're going to quash them, right? Well, I can't say the other one. One quash. of the reasons why. Say, take a sentence like this. How are your SLAs impacted by your LSP's claims of DFM capabilities? IDK. If I'm a student, <laughs> what does that mean, right? That, if I was a student, if I went, I went into Google, actually, to test this. If yeah. I was a student, that would mean to me, how are your service level agreements impacted by your Louisiana State Police claims of design for manufacturability. And you got closer than I did because I went in there. Slaw just was like a, another word for, for lettuce. Yeah. So how, is, how are your lettuce impacted by your Louisiana State yeah. Patrol? <laughs> Absolutely crazy. I love it. Quash the acronyms, man. Make it easy for everybody. Beautiful. The big news today, we kicked off this event talking about it. It's the Suez Canal blocked by that container ship that got struck, right? It's the Ever Given. It's an evergreen ship, 20,000 TU, a quarter mile long. They blamed it on wind, but the wind was only 30 miles per hour. It's 220,000 pounds. Other people have said they were maybe racing to get ahead of another vessel. But we've also learned that in order to even go through the locks, you have to bring a Suez Canal pilot with you. So really curious to see what's going to happen when this all untangles they have um they have floated it a little bit right so it's still not moving through the canal there's still that blockage there's still over a hundred ships waiting and michael vince let me tell you this is 10 percent of the world's global trade that is stuck in this blockade now that is unbelievable 10 percent, and you're and they're piling up outside they're piling up outside got a hundred at anchor waiting hundred it's just not moving at least a hundred at least well i mean and i don't know how fast what is it 50 a day Go through, traverse it, I guess, something like that. This is on top of the 26 vessels that are sitting at the port of L.A. Long Beach as of last night. It's a global trade system broken. It sure seems like it in a lot of ways. And the biggest place that this is going to hit is now we're having a lot of talk. The narrative is switching to where it finally impacts us. That link of the chain is finally pulled, and that link is inventories. And it's showing up in, in companies' earnings reports. I was, just looking at a, I was just looking at Nike's report. Where do I get it? Nike imports dropped 39% amid port congestion, congestion straining inventory. This is before Suez. Wow. Yeah. That, that is unbelievable. And there's, and there's more things. It's, it, and what you said is, is it broken? But it, it, it absolutely is very fragile. And there's certain choke points that, man, one little thing, like this guy. Whoa, turn left. Boom. Hey, let's be a little <laughs> kind here, too, because seafarers have had it terrible in the past year. There are people who have been, boats, have been on boats since COVID began. They've been stuck at anchor. They've been waiting behind blockades. They've been dealing with their own outbreaks on ships, haven't been able to get off at ports, been quarantined. They have it as hard as anybody. So a little cowbell for all the seafarers who have kept trade moving despite these awful conditions that would cause so many of us to turn tail and run, except those of us in supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not going to get any easier. You know, you're talking about the, the COVID, the vaccine rollouts, and you and I are trying to get our second one, right? We're ready yeah. to, we're starting to get ours for there. But these uh, seafarers out there, they're going bouncing from country to country to country. And some countries like China, they don't want them in. No. Unless they get them. But they, where's their chance to get them? Some of them have been on the ship for a year. Well, we, we saw that in Hong Kong with the airplanes too. FedEx is filing a grievance with Hong Kong because they were letting Cathay Pacific pilots through, right. but they were quarantining the FedEx pilots and making them, they felt like they were being held back as a disadvantage to make their service slower, weaponizing yeah. a COVID response, which to me is pretty immoral. 
Here's another thing that's going on. So we talk about these inventories. You talk about this trade, all this congestion. Is there going to be an opportunity to unwind it? Well, Greg Miller just put up a great article on FreightWaves.com mm. talking about all this congestion. He has a quote in here from Michael Braun of Zanetta, and he says, If you think the worst is over, be cautious. In some cases, it could stay as difficult or get worse, especially in the U.S., in the What the Truck newsletter, you can get that every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, FreightWaves.com slash WTT. This quote, Zim CEO Eli Glickman, we expect import levels for the entire year of 2021 to remain elevated simply to restock retail inventory to the same level as before the pandemic. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not over. Let's put it that way. And right now, you need all the visibility, transparency, and and flexibility you can get in your logistics, and as much help as you can possibly get in in safeguarding your logistics supply chain. One of the hardest things to do here is to forecast this demand. A Mm -hmm. lot of people didn't see that coming. You throw a black swan event into the mix. You throw blockages into the mix. How do you prepare for that? How do you forecast? Well, I'm I'm glad that we're having the opportunity now to speak to Larry Klein. He's vice president of logistics over at Bring. Larry, we need some answers. <laughs> well, first thing I'm going to do is not use acronyms. And Beautiful. if I do use an acronym, hit the cowbell. Okay. Right? Just, All right. uh, hold, hold me accountable. It's a deal. Um, well, Larry, tell me a little bit about this. So we, we talked about all this demand struggle, right? I mean, it, the global supply chain is really tough to navigate right now. How do you forecast the, the demand when so many of these elements are of the irregular? Yeah, I, I think just just where bring fits and maybe I'll, I'll do that first and then it'll help with the answer to this question. So we're really focused on, on final mile execution. We're focused on uh, helping retailers and logistics companies scale up and optimize and execute their final mile strategy. But all the things you just talked about definitely have an impact, right? Because if the, if the merchandise can't make its way to the final mile, if you don't see it, um, you struggle, right? And so what we see with our customers in terms and our clients of trying to get ready for things they can't predict is to really look at their operations and figure out, is there some latent capacity that they have that they can unlock to get, so they can't predict it, but they can get ready for it. In other words, you know, I think what they've seen over this, this last year is trying to predict what tomorrow is going to be is very difficult. But if you have an operation that is really flexible and, and can scale without throwing a bunch of people at it, then you, that's, that's more than half the battle. And I think that's what we see. And we see that with, uh, within the four walls of, of uh, final mile logistics providers, you know, in, in terms of uh, enabling dispatchers to just be more efficient, to focus on the things that matter, to, to out on the floor, to their customer service departments, and then out to their drivers. And it's really about that kind of unlocking that latent capacity, which, which lends to getting ready for things you just don't know are coming. Yeah. So, Larry, when you talk about that and you're trying to hit your your service uh, level agreements, right, your standard service level agreements, sure. and you're trying to hit these in final mile, you're looking at you don't know when that container's coming into the port or, or when it's hitting a crossroad. You're trying to get to your final mile, and then you're talking about latent capacity to tap into. How are they hitting that operationally? Because that would seem like you need to be able to flex pretty darn quickly to, to make things happen at the final mile, correct? Yeah, no, great point. Um, and, and, and I think what people learned over 2020 is if they're, not, if they're not ready to flex, then they're pretty much ready to fail, right? Because they just, they, they really need a platform um, and, a, and a technology stack that allow, and I'll give you a couple examples of how you can flex. So one way to flex would be to plug into pre-integrated options, other fleets, right, that you can access when necessary. So these, this is all kind of variableizing your cost. They're not sitting there waiting for you to give them volume, but they're available to you via technology that when you get more than you thought you were going to get, you can access them in real time and not with a human, but with a platform, right? So that's one way. We had another client who actually empowered their employees who were not drivers um, with driver technology just in case they needed to use them out in the field, right? So they said, hey, listen, it, there may come a day during peak where uh, we, we, all of you people sitting in the office, you're going to have to go make deliveries. And so we're going to basically pre-train you, teach you how to use the tech. And it actually came to fruition. They, they really did use their folks out. And, and so that's another way. So, I mean, I think it's looking for variable fleets that you can pre-integrate with. And I think it's also maybe looking for, for creative ways to, uh, to unleash your employees on, on this extra, extra need and extra capacity. 
Yeah, I mean, Larry, the, the supply chain's a lot like Chinese finger cuffs. The more you struggle, the, the tighter it gets. The, the more you pay, the worse service gets. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that supply chain is a business driven by capacity. So how do shippers deal with, um, how do they overcome these driver and resource shortages? Yeah, I think, um, I think the biggest thing is, is really understanding how to make what you have more efficient. And that doesn't mean like making people work harder. That absolutely is not the, is not the point. I think it's looking at your operations and saying, what do our people spend their time on? And whether these are employees or independent contractors, I'll use this for this, the, same, the same comment for both, but what, what wastes time? What, what drives them crazy? And this is very like down to the weeds. This isn't a high level 30,000 foot. This is like, what does my dispatcher actually spend his or her day on? Like, are they spending time on things that we could automate? Are they spending time on things that we can address with technology? Can I make them, can I make their job better? And can I make them more efficient simultaneously, right? That's what we have conversations with people about, uh, whether it's a shipper or a logistics company, because ultimately it's giving their employees and their independent contractors the tools to do their job better, but then it's also allowing them to scale. Um, I'll give you a, for instance, if a dispatcher has to route and optimize and assign drivers and actually manage the loadout, the driver loadout process manually, right? There's only so much that person could ever do. And then as more volume comes in, you need more people, right? But if you take a lot of those repetitive tasks and use technology to do them, now you've kind of unleashed this dispatcher to do the things that actually matter, right? To, to troubleshoot, to exception manage, and, and that dispatcher can actually handle much more work in a much more satisfactory way. And, and this plays out across the entire supply chain. Larry, we really like what you've had to say today. You know, this is our sort of version of speed dating here at the event. Unfortunately, these segments are not very long, <laughs> but I'm sure people got a lot of answers here, but they probably still have many questions. So if they want to reach out to sure. you, they want more advice from you or they want to learn more about Bring, where should we send them to? Uh, certainly send them to me. I'm happy to. I'm happy to interact. Um, my email address is Larry at bring.com. That's bring with two G's. Um, happy to chat about, you know, making your operations, uh, your final mile operations more efficient. Larry, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us here. And you know what? I didn't have to hit the cowbell Thanks, once. <laughs> Should I give him one just for, uh, for I, making I, I, it through yes. without yeah, needing absolutely. one? All right, here's a bonus one just for making it through without needing one. Now we're going to be joined by Riley Ford. She's an account executive over at Front, also our headline sponsor today. Thank you very much, Front, for helping us throw this event. And as I understand it, when she is not dealing with global logistics and the supply chain, she's also playing water polo. Is that right? Yes, that, that is right. Um, I don't get in the pool as often anymore, but I, I did dabble in water polo in college. And I think um, that competitive side of me has been something that I've taken you know, on in life and the need for competition and the need to just be you know, in a competitive environment has been really fun in my career. You know, that's one of the reasons I always dig into people to find out these questions, because I think a lot of this stuff actually defines how you're going to operate in business. As she said right there, it became part of her process and, and doing all of this stuff. Well, Riley, introduce us to Front. What do you guys do for those who didn't catch the demo? Yeah, of course. So I think when you think about Front, we're a customer communications platform. And communications means a lot of things. There's sort of two sides in logistics. There's the you know communication with your customers. And then there's also the internal communication that happens in the back end. So we're a platform that brings both those communications in together. So you can win more business, be the first to opportunities, have the best in class customer experience. So that's really what we are as a whole. And we work really closely with uh, 6,000 customers today, a lot of those in the logistics and transportation space. So, Riley, uh, first of all, the first thing I learned today was that there actually is a website called The Most Interesting Facts of Water Polo. Oh, wow. There, there, <laughs> there, there actually is. Well, did you get and one? It, uh, yeah, well, just that it, 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 was, it originated in England as actually, actually polo in the rivers. They played, wow. they, played, they played rugby, I'm sorry, in the, in, the, uh, in the rivers, and then it developed from there. But uh, really interesting stuff. But uh, as, as, <laughs> let's get back to front and what you guys are doing there. And the trunk, the, really the trends amongst the logistics companies. And, and those that are winning business right now, what are the trends inside those companies that are winning right now? 
Yeah. Well, I think it's been, you know, a, a unique trying time for a lot of companies, but the teams that had systems in place to scale more efficiently and sort of a unique world, some teams had to go fully remote, some have a hybrid approach. And the teams that had solutions that allowed them to sort of stay intact with their customers, not have a, their customer experience get degraded because of the like lack to be in the office are the ones that have been set up for success. Um, you know, you don't have that edge anymore. Like, Hey, I can go shake hands. I can stop at people's doors. So your edge has to be your customer experience being the first one on the beat, the first one to, you know, quickly respond to a customer if there's an issue. So what I've seen is the teams that have collaboration in place behind the scenes so that they can best support their customers have been set up for success. Oh, wow. Wow. So how does front change collaboration to enable that process to set up that success? Yeah. So I think, you know, traditional collaboration, like back in the day happened, you know, you tap someone on the shoulder, you say, Hey, I need help. Um, can we approve this quote? I need approval. Um, can we, there's been a crash. Like how should I escalate this internally? But with front, we bring that in. So rather than having to call someone, tap someone on the shoulder, or even have a, you know, 30 chain email chain, we bring sort of a quick collaboration within that email thread. So multiple people can have this eyes on a single thread to support a customer at once, if that makes sense. No, yeah, absolutely. It does. And that's something, Michael Vince, that comes up all the time in brokerage yeah. when you're dealing with the intake department that's getting the that's getting the um, arrival notices and clearing a shipment. Then you have to go through the whole dispatch portion and then you have to go into what I did was duty drawback portion of it, too. So there's a lot of retention of documents, but there's different eyes on each one. So bringing it together, I can totally see the value there. Yeah, yeah, actually. One customer I was working with that was really exciting this past year was a cold storage company. And, you know, during this time, they've actually been sending out vaccines. They've been sending out, uh, you know, different trial drugs and the ability to have alerts and talk about if there's a temperature warning and make sure that that hospital is going to get those drugs on time without the warming, warming actually happening has been pretty impactful. So having that final mile execution team um, be able to collaborate internally quickly can really mean actually saving lives, which is exciting. So, Riley, one of the things that, that frustrates me the most and frustrated me the most when I was managing different departments and running 3PLs, et cetera, was uh, email. Email can be your biggest uh, killer of productivity and, and response back to your customer. It can be your friend and be killer when you've got especially groups and nobody's answering. Yeah. And people take that, well, I sent an email. I'm just waiting for them to come back. How does it solve this issue? Because we even get that here. Hey, tag somebody internally on Slack to make sure you get an answer. Yeah. How does it handle yeah. that? No, no, that's a great question. I think people assume when you email a group, there's sort of two things that happen. One is, you know, everyone assumes someone else has it, the nose go effect, or two people respond to it. And either of those is a bad customer experience. Mm -hmm. So with Front, we have a shared inbox model where a single copy comes in, there's assignments. They're also, I don't mean to use an acronym, but there's SLAs, so service oh. level agreements flagged in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it'll notify if the message hasn't been responded to in a certain amount of time and it can escalate it to the right person. Um, I know, you know, sometimes people have that sort of soft spot with email or like you said, not a great spot, but what we're doing is we're making email more actionable, reducing the volume of email that people have. So one of our customers, Estes Forwarding Worldwide, when they implemented Front, their email volume went down 700 emails per person per day. So imagine if each person has 700 less emails, how much time they have to actually proactively reach out to customers to be more of a proactive versus a reactive uh, employee, which is important. Let me ask you a question from our comments section, and it kind of ties into this. Tom Smiley, he said, can over-digitization lead to you being farther and farther away from a client? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question, being like not on the beat with your customers. But I'd say what Front does is it makes it so you actually have more time in your day to be closer to customers. So your customer is still just going to see an email if you're using Front. We're not changing the way you work. We're just freeing up time, making you more efficient, and actually giving you more time in your day to spend with customers. Um, I think that customer relationship is so important, and we would never want to over-digitize that or move you away from that. We're actually bringing you back to your customers, if that makes sense. No, I, I like that take because, again, tech is just the tool. It's your, it's your onboarding, mm -hmm. your implementation, how you use your team around that tech. Some places they onboard tech and then they, they, they say, oh, I can unplug my customer service team now. No, you, now you have more time for your customer service team to deal with those people, right? Not, sometimes cost, it's not about cost savings. It's about saving and retaining those customers so you could bring higher invoice values and all of those kind of things. People who want to learn more information about this topic, where should we send them to? Yeah, well, send them to me. I'd love to give anyone a private tour, uh, very customized. But my email is riley at frontapp.com, and I'd be more than happy to help with anyone.
Thank you very much. We appreciate your time Thank today. You Michael, you ever think about playing uh, water polo in the Suez Canal? <laughs> <laughs> they might be playing it while they're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> they might be out there playing while they're waiting. Hey, you know what we're going to talk about now? We're going to talk about posers. Who's a poser in the digital freight matching game? DFM, for those of you in the know. I know one guy who's not. Yeah. Prasad Golabi is a founder and CEO over at Trucker Tools. He's joining us now to shed a little insight on this tough topic about who, who's a poser and who isn't. Prasad, hey, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How are you? Um, we're doing good, Prasad. Where are you hanging out today? Um, working from home, um, but uh, good to good to see you both. On uh, you know, this is the best we can get to real real conference. Uh, but uh, nice chatting with you both. Well, I hope we see you November eighth to tenth at at F three. It's going to be off the chain. It's going to be lit. It's going to be yes, beautiful. Yes, yes, absolutely, so, yes. Tell us a little bit about this. So, digital freight matching platforms. It's it's kind of a buzzword. It's 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 murky, right? It's not mm-hmm. completely defined what it means. How do you how do you decide who is a a wannabe and what is a real digital freight matching platform? Um, Tim, what you said is, is absolutely right. These are a lot of in our industry. There are a lot of these. Um, buzzwords right they, everybody throws things under dfm now um but you know the you know when you peel the layers out what is truly a digital platform right i'm even simplifying it as digital platform it should be built on real-time data that's what we're talking about digital revolution and all of it is has to be built on real-time data um you know apps like a platform that's centered around an app could provide that real-time data as opposed to somebody searching online and you know you you're looking at yesterday's data to uh, or an email that got uh, you got from a carrier two days ago that doesn't make his uh, digital platform the second one is uh, connectivity with your carriers because when you when we talk about digital platforms in our space they are typically the platforms that connect brokers with carriers that's the, the area that we i mean i can speak for uh, given our role in that space uh, as trucker tools um, they have to have a live connection with the carriers so it's not about uh, you know i send an email waiting for the carrier to respond back or i'm waiting for the carrier to come to my portal like a public load board and expecting the carrier to work with me the third and the most important one is the completeness in the platform, right? In a digital platform, it cannot just be a part of the solution. You know, today, brokers and carriers interact with each other for visibility, real-time visibility, freight matching, and uh, sending the documents back, right, for invoices and all of that. A platform should cover all these three. And obviously, the machine learning, artificial intelligence, all those are important in a platform, but these the first three are very important. So, Prasad, when you're looking for a digital freight matching uh, platform or partner, how do you go about uh, ensuring that they're actually leveraging all these tools that you're talking about uh, to fully get the the the, uh, the, the benefits of these uh, of the automation of the process? I think the very important thing is if you're a broker engaging on a digital platform, asking these questions is very important, and not get sidetracked by with you know, hey, here, we're only doing X, Y, Z, but not the complete platform. Don't get thrown into these rapid holes, right? Um, Ask the vendor, do they have a real connectivity with the carrier? Are they operating on real-time data, not on emails that were sent yesterday or waiting for the carrier to come to their portal? Is it complete? More importantly, the other two questions you want to ask is, how many carriers have adopted to this platform? Are you helping this, the, the carriers, right? And uh, for a broker, what is the value they get out at, at the end of the day, right? Um, will it help me reduce my variable cost of covering a load? If it doesn't, then everything else that you know, a vendor does is useless. Wow. So for those of us who have CFOs out there or have to deal with CFOs, <laughs> as most of us do, you, you have to, right, when you go to your CFO, you can't be like, oh, I just want this tech or I, I want this camera, I want this lighting. You have to be able to justify the cost, right? What's going to happen yeah. with it? So with a newer technology like digital freight matching, how do you quantify those cost savings to that CFO to make them happy with that investment? Uh, you know, the, it all starts with what is your variable cost of covering a load, right? If you know that, you know, look at that, right? Your goal is to reduce that with these platforms. Otherwise, it's just a, a shiny thing that you just want for no reason, right? You can just fight to your CFO. The second thing you want to also look at is um, these digital platforms should help brokers and 3PLs in retaining their carriers. If they don't retain their carriers, right, then 
the whole purpose is again we are back in the same wheelhouse as a you know a public load board where you're depending on these carriers to come to you every single day. Uh, so carrier retention is the second one. There are two ways you can measure that. One is, are you getting more repeat carriers? And the load number of loads that these repeat carriers are booking, is it on a rise, average number of loads? If those two metrics are not in the right direction, then you're not adopting to the right platform. Interesting. So, Prasad, along the same vein, when you're looking at new technology and bringing it in, some people bring it in, like you said, and it's just a shiny thing that you want. Mm. Let's see, you get it. And now it's just this shiny thing over there that's just masking a problem that was internal, right? So what kind of reviews should you be doing? before in-house before you start looking at new technology? I think setting these goals, right, with your team and telling, and there is a big fear with these digital platforms too, right? A lot of brokers, especially the brokers who are on the phone, their worry is if this platform works, am I going to lose my job, right? I mean, I heard both Riley and Larry address this in some sense before me is your employees are not going to lose jobs. Actually, they're going to get freed up to do the more important stuff, right? That's a very important conversation to have with your employees. Two, set incentives for your brokers that help them adopt to platforms as opposed to resist it, right? Because a lot of these brokers make commissions on moving the freight, right? Addressing that upfront is an important thing. Um, you know, we at Trucker Tools, we have um, our training team, our support team that actually helps our customers on these things, in addition to selling them on, hey, here we have already 165,000 small carriers that you need. They're already on the platform. What can we do to help you, right? Having that transparent conversation with your vendor is a good, good starting point. Well, Prasad, thank you so much for sharing this insight with us. If people want more information, I'm sure they have a lot of questions. Where should we send them to? Um, you know, to, to our uh, website or to me or to our sales team, uh, our sales team can be reached out at uh, sales at truckatools.com. Um, they do a fantastic job of educating, especially walking through a process of digitization and more importantly, aligning your strategy uh, with a digital product or having a product aligned with you. Prasad, thank you so much for your time today. Have a great Wednesday. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Prasad. You know, he kind of touched on that there. And we've both been in sales at 3PLs. Sure. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing more heartbreaking than spending a year or two trying to land an account, getting that power of attorney, onboarding him, handling that first shipment. It's screwed up. And you lose the account, right? How, yeah. It's terrible. It, it, it's right heartbreaking. It's demoralizing. It's everything wrong in life. Well, we're going to talk to Bob Hitt. He's North American lead transportation and logistics industry over at Salesforce. He's going to talk to us about turbocharging your 3PL with high-velocity sales. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Uh, and uh, just so you know, that is the Portland Lighthouse. You guys asked about that last time I was on. Oh, yeah. So, uh I, I wanted to clarify before I knew it was Maine, but I didn't know where it was. So. <laughs> I thought it was Noble Point. I think I told you that afterwards. I thought it was Noble yeah. Point in, in Maine, but Portland. Okay. Beautiful. Cool. Portland. Yeah. It is. Beautiful. Anyway. So as I'm sure you guys know, in, in 3PL sales, velocity is the name of the game. There's a lot of volume, a lot of work. And the people that are doing the, the sales, the inside sales in the office have big challenges. You know, they've got emails, they've got spreadsheets, they've got uh, a TMS to use, they've got leads, they probably have sticky notes on their monitor, paper documents, and it's just killing them with administrative work. And they're not selling, they're doing all that administrative work. So we've tried to focus on having a tool that, that has speed, it has scale, it leverages the best practices and agility and flexibility for people so that they can do more of what they're good at, and that's sales. Um, and it, it provides one console that has their work queue of the things that they need to do, and that work queue is integrated with their email. It's integrated with their phone system, so they just click on a phone number to call, click on email, it'll bring up a template, it'll be pre-filled out, they can customize it if they want, but it has the right, not just grammar and spelling, but the right brand message and the right message for the people that they're communicating with. And ultimately, it, it provides that speed for the salesperson to make more calls and get more business. 
Yeah, it's all about that velocity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you spoke to a good point here. It's that information inertia. I feel it all the time. I have messages on Twitter. I've got DMs on LinkedIn. I've got a Slack. I got an email here. I got text. It's so much that sometimes it's hard to wind together, but it's even harder to remember who you shared that information with, right? So many blind spots are happening. Now, we talk about this new digital world with all this information. For a lot of 3PLs, relatively new. How How do they define metrics around this? Well, that's a great question. And one of the things that high velocity sales will provide for you, it's going to give you metrics. It's going to show you how many emails out of this. They have a sales cadence is what we have in the tool. And it's a series of steps, whether it's emails or phone calls or brochures that are sent out in regular old mail. And it shows those steps and it shows where that that rep has made that contact with email. It'll show you who's opened up the email, when they've made a call. The rep can say it was a good call or a bad call, and it'll follow a different branch and different decisions in terms of what that cadence has in it. And ultimately, it's going to show you when you convert and when you actually get business out of that cadence. So you get really good metrics on the sales cadence. You get really good metrics for the reps to know that it's working. What's happened? Did they open that email? So there's a a whole set of tools around providing information for the sales management as well as for those sales reps to know what they're doing. And it can be used across a lot of different functions, whether it's you know marketing and sales or pricing, even things like carrier management. If you have a series of steps that you want to follow up, it provides that cadence that allows you to, to follow the steps and execute. And it's all there in one console that's fast and easy to execute um, across a process. And the cadence is actually set up by those sales supervisors and managers that know the process best. They're the ones that were down in the trenches doing it. And so they set it up in the way that they know works the best for, for customers of a different type. And you can have a different cadence for a CEO, a VP of purchasing, or someone on the dock or in a warehouse. So they can all be customized with different emails and different messages and it's integrated in one console so that it's really fast for those salespeople to go through the calls. The more calls they make with the right messages, the more revenue they're going to get. Makes the sales rep happy and they're going to stay longer. Makes the sales management happy. Makes the 3PL happy. It also helps the customers because you're giving the right message to the right people. It's not one message fits all. Yeah, Bob, what do we, we have about 60 seconds left. Maybe you can solve this age-old problem. What do we do with the sales reps who go, my CRM is right here? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's really hard to, to measure <laughs> those that guys. <laughs> and how, how they're doing and how effective they are. I think in most 3PLs, they're pretty sophisticated about having a bunch of lists and customers and having different cadences in terms of we call these people weekly, every other week, every month, or this is a CEO, or this is this is a, a purchasing manager that controls more than just one or two shipments. Most of them are really good about actually having a real CRM where all those feeds come. And of course, they buy lists from places and they put those into their, their marketing efforts to do qualification. So I just, I, I think it's, you make the tools easy, you make it fast, mm-hmm. you make it so that they can perform better than the people that just have it in their head. That's <laughs> hey, Bob, the hey, Bob, for the people who don't have it right here or want to get out of here, where do we send them to? Hey, you, they can contact me. My email address is bhitt, H-I-T-T, at salesforce.com. You can look for high-velocity sales on the Salesforce website, see all kinds of stuff about it. We'd be glad to help you. A lot of people in the industry love this tool. It's really helped turbocharge their sales teams. Thank you so much, Bob. Thanks for joining us at 3PL Summit. Thanks, now, Michael, you nodded approvingly when I, when I did this right here. Were yes. you the guy who had the CRM in his head, or did you just know those guys? No, I, I grew up in that era and then had to switch over to this area. That was not an easy transition, <laughs> but, it, but it's pretty good. One of the best things in this type of thing that he's talking about here is figuring out who should be moved back. Wow. Uh, you know, when, when a customer fails, if I'm failing, when to move it to somebody else. Yeah, well, hey, we're pulling it into our break right now. Word for our sponsors, and we'll be right back with even more What the Truck. Welcome back to the live desk here on What the Truck. You know, we just had some great sessions with our speakers. We were learning about forecasting. We were learning about demand, the velocity of sales, and the velocity of information and the fragmentation within 
We're in a remote world, Michael Vincent, yes, so it are. makes those things even harder. And I know that a lot of us, myself included, at times you feel like you're on an island because you don't have that same communication and comfort level you did in person. And we're all adapting, but I'm sure all of us would be lying if on some end of the table it doesn't feel imbalanced in this virtual world. No, you're absolutely right, because those silos that may have been uh, you know, inches thick are now miles thick mm. at times, right? And it seems like getting that information to be reactive and to be efficient becomes very, very difficult. And you're disconnected from the team. You, don't, you start losing your way. Yeah. One of the ways to bring them in, and if you guys used to watch these shows, and you're actually, I think we've done a few stand-ups in front of the board. We have a board over to our left here. It's this giant LED screen, right? And we had this thing called Ambition on there. And this room that we're actually broadcasting from now, it used to be our sales floor. And every time someone sold something or something positive happened here at Freight Waves, that board would go off, music would play. If I had my cowbell, I'd, I'd go like this. And everyone would get really into it. It would bring, like, this super energy. The only time it was bad was when we were trying to film something. Yeah, <laughs> it was the only time it got but, annoying. <laughs> but normally, under normal circumstances, that thing would go off. It would get everyone lively. It would get everyone lit. Now, in a remote world, you don't get the board going off. But there's still ways to utilize this, and one of the companies who's the best at it is Ambition. So we're going to talk to Brian Troutskold. He's the co-founder and COO over at Ambition. He's going to talk to us about managing remote sales teams with accountability and encouragement. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Ambition's a cool product, and I hadn't seen it until I got here at Freightways and really experienced it firsthand. And now I've seen it in the, in the presence version, and I've also seen it in the virtual version you're one of the co-founders. Why did you decide to make Ambition? What was the, what's the why behind it? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you mentioned the accountability and encouragement. I, I started my career as a, as a sales rep selling software. I moved into selling uh, freight and doing 3PL brokerage. It's really hard. When you're 23, 24, you're making 100 dials a day and your manager is busy. Um, it's really difficult to stay motivated, to, to really be inspired, and then to see the, the stats and the KPIs that are going to lead you to success. And so we wanted to create a mission to create uh, the, the fastest feedback loop and the most, um, you know, the best leverage for reps and managers to, to be successful and to hit those targets. So, so Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Uh, this past year, the great work from home experiment and working mm -hmm. virtually. How do you keep those uh, teams, how do you keep your teams on target uh, in, in this? We were just talking about the silo, and those silos become miles apart now with a virtual sales team. How do you keep, as a manager, keep those guys targeted and in focus? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Michael. I mean, all the rituals we had as leaders, as managers had to change. And so what we talk about a lot here is, visibility, accountability, and, and actually having transparency to where people are and how they're pacing, um, and then adjusting and course correcting when you're off. And so, you know, what we do and what we believe strongly in is you have to give people um, measurable, but also achievable short-term goals. And in brokerage, that might be that you need to talk to X number of carriers per day. You need to talk to X number of shippers per week. You need to book this many loads. And if you do those things, you're going to be successful in terms of hitting your weekly, monthly, quarterly, and definitely annual quota. Um, and you break those KPIs down, you give people a clear path to success, and you continually reinforce, uh, hopefully with positive recognition and positive feedback, what's working and where they can improve. And so that's what we've done at Ambition. Of course, we're, we've gone fully remote like everyone else. Um, and we have to you know, strengthen our own, our own muscle memory because we used to rely on those TV screens too. For us now, that happens in Slack in Zoom, in email, um, but we try to create as many touch points and uh, you know, as much visibility as we can on our team. Brian, I come from the old school, brutal world of 3PL sales that weren't very tech focused or tech advanced. The only thing you would yeah. really do in there is they'd pull a numbers report out of your CRM, or Salesforce, whatever it was, and then your sales manager would go, well, you're not making the numbers. And like that was the extent of coaching. There was nothing yeah. really about the number of visits you did, the number of emails you did, any other metrics. How is ambition changing that game so reps can feel a little bit more involved in the coaching and it can feel like there's a little bit more feedback to it than just you haven't made your numbers. We already know we haven't made our numbers or we know when we have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think employee experience now too is, is a huge priority for these large, uh, these large companies and large logistics companies, because uh, if anything, you know, with remote work being acceptable now, the talent can move. And if you're not investing in developing your talent, they may look for the next opportunity that they think is better or they feel like someone will invest in them. So 
uh, for, for, you know, to that point, those, that data could be in, in a bunch of different places. You may be using uh, Salesforce and high-velocity sales, like Bob was saying uh, on the last segment. You may be coming from more legacy TMS and, and a telephony system. That's cool. We're, we're good with all of that. We, we Ambition, our first customer was uh, Access America and Coyote Logistics. And so they came from that same world. We built a system where they could bring in data from TMS, telephony systems, uh, load management systems into Ambition, and they could actually measure people in real time on the, on the metrics that matter. To your point, it's not end of month or end of week looking at, oh, well, Dooner, you only made you know, 12 calls a day and you booked three loads. We're having that call in real time. So at 10 a.m., you can go look and see that your reps on the East Coast, you should have an expectation. Maybe they should talk to 15 people by 10 a.m. or maybe they should have five loads booked by noon. Whatever those are, you could have real-time feedback on are people on track? Do I need to get involved as a, as a coach, as a manager? Give them constructive feedback. Give them hopefully recognition when they're exceeding those things. Um, and the reps are going to feel that as well because they're not going to be you know, searching in the dark, trying to figure out how do I become better at my job or how do I hit target? They're going to have that, uh, you know, that one-to-one relationship with the, with the manager guiding them through the process and, and hopefully ambition is, is helping them do that. That's excellent stuff. You met, you mentioned, you know, giving them rewards, et cetera, and, and a manager's actions. So you can gather all kinds of data we've seen before and we're talking about it, not only in sales, but in, in, in just your logistics stream uh, supply chain as it is. But if you don't do anything with that, that data or know what to do with that data, nothing happens. How do you convert data that you're gathering into, hey, Michael, your team is doing this? What is giving me those action points? Yeah, we talk about getting the right data to the right people at the right time. And so, we really, we really partner with the businesses when we're working with them. They, they tell us what they care about or what that team cares about, maybe conversations with shippers or you know, loads booked or, or margin in a load. Um, and they're going to set those targets. They're going to put them into ambition. They're, they're going to have very custom metrics they can measure their people on. And that's where the feedback loop starts. And so they're going to see that uh, in real time, vers- the real data versus the expectation. And then, like I said, the data uh, needs to get to someone who can intervene or someone who can recognize or whatever the case may be. So um, that can be delivered by Slack. I think at Freight Waves, you all use Slack. We do it uh, at Ambition. It could be in Teams. It could be in email. Um, it could be obviously on TV screens one day, you know, fingers crossed when we get back into the office. Um, but we believe, you know, the, the, the sales organization is going to work however it works. And right now it's working in primarily in email and in Slack and Teams. And so we get the data in there that they can utilize, uh, you know, to build that culture and to, you know, continue to, to get better. Brian, if people want to take advantage of your services, they like what they heard today, where should we send them to? Yeah, ambition.com. Very simple. www.ambition.com. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining us at the 3PL Summit. We appreciate it, brother. Hey, we'll, Thanks, see, you at, we'll see you at uh, F3, right? He's in Chattanooga. We'll definitely see him at F3. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're in Chattanooga. Now, okay, so the devil on my shoulder, right? Yes. The devil on my shoulder for most of the month loved the managers who said nothing to you, right? They only, like, it was the end of the month, you had to answer, or the end of the quarter, you had to answer your numbers. You had that one bad day or good day, depending on your numbers, but they kind of left you alone the other time. But the angel, the good, the good sales manager on my shoulder, likes that tactile feedback, likes those metrics, likes that coaching. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. The bad habit side doesn't. No, the bad habit side. No, you're no. absolutely right. The bad habit side does not want the feedback. No, you don't. No, you, you don't. just roll. Yeah. You just roll. But we're in a different era now. We're in a no, different we era now. we definitely are. I agree with you. You know what we're talking about? I love the about? feedback. You know what we're talking about, too, now? No. Sachin Gaisis. He's a managing oh. partner over M-Tech Digital. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that 3PL firms are facing today. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today at the 3PL Summit. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And good afternoon to everyone. Yeah, I wish this was in person. Don't you guys, November 8th to 10th, it will be. But man, it's still good catching up with everybody. Tell us a little bit about MTech Digital. Sure. Uh, MTech is a U.S. headquartered global technology services company, and we have presence in U.S., Canada, and India. We provide software engineering services to some of the top 10 3PL companies. And uh, Actually, one of the companies that Michael mentioned in the last segment, we have been working with them for more than seven years. We serve as an extension of your IT company, and our ability to quickly gain and sustain technology trust has helped us develop a team of 250-plus engineers working with various 3PLs, 
as well as the software product companies, we help 3PL companies manage the innovation paradox, right, to realize their business goals. So MTech Digital is the technology partner of choice for you who can help you build end-to-end digital capabilities at scale and speed. So Sachin, welcome to the show. This is Michael Vincent here. So tell us, uh, in your view, what you're seeing out there, what are some of the uh, challenges faced by the traditional 3PLs uh, today? I mean, things are changing, right? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, you know, before we are a technology firm, right? And before getting into the specifics of technologies, right? Let's look at what are the broad objectives 3PLs are trying to achieve with this technology, right? So the first, uh, modernizing your IT infrastructure to be future ready. Second, addressing some of the inherent challenges like addressing peak load, access to data anytime, anywhere, releasing your software quicker, lack of automation, et cetera, right? And all of this you're trying to solve using latest technologies. And, and most importantly, all of this is aimed at, you know, remaining competitive in this, in this market where everyone is moving towards the self-service platforms, right? I think all of the previous speakers, right, I think they talk about all the innovation, gaining efficiencies, becoming effective in handling your sales force, your customers, et cetera. So we believe this is a part of a journey where we are transitioning from a people-centric services to digital technology-driven services. We're about five years into the freight tech renaissance here in supply chain, in, in trucking global. What, what is sticking, right? In those five years, what trends are sticking? What digital trends are being adopted by 3PLs? Sure. So I think let me, so obviously the answer is cloud data and AI ML and automation. I think I would, I would summarize those into three uh, broad categories, right? So talking about the cloud, right? So cloud enables a better reach to various supply chain systems and processes. This enhances real-time visibility around various enterprise uh, data sets like your pricing, inventory, traffic data, weather, et cetera, uh, while optimizing the infrastructure cost and providing that scalability while you are growing. As we speak, right, we are helping a software product company uh, to build a highly distributed and scalable cloud-native TMS platform from scratch. Uh, also, there are multiple projects that we have uh, executed where we re-architected and migrated on-prem systems into the cloud, right? Now, talking about data, so data you know, drives the organizational change, but data with technology delivers a business value. Technology innovation is the key growth lever for sustainable business transformation. But this requires a strong data-driven culture at the heart of the organizational framework. And given the legacy nature of the applications, right, in, in this industry, and siloed data coming from various different sources, having a comprehensive data governance strategy is a must for you know, for all the today's PPLs. And uh, those are the, you know, predominant trends, right? Uh, and, and now talking about AI enables some of the use cases. I mean, you asked me what's happening, uh, you know, what's going to happen over the next five years. And these are some of the examples are uh, the trendsetters, right? So one of the primary reasons for the success of digital freight matching platform uh, is the mobile apps and platforms that are powered by AI enabled models. Most of the 3PL participants like drivers and carriers are always on the move. And having access to data at their fingertips is a critical success factor to win their trust to adopt technology, right? Uh, ML models help optimize the routes for maximum fuel efficiency and to improve you know, speed of deliveries. Uh, you have OCR, you have machine learning algorithms that are applied to various documents to validate the BOL or POD and various other documents, right? Uh, with the objective of uh, you know, processing the invoices and payments faster. ML also plays a major role in predicting the TL and LTL rates and spot market demand, right? Uh, talking about automation, I think that's one of the area where I feel, you know, CPL industry in general would catch up in, in coming years, right, if, if they're not done it already. Uh, we still see, you know, a uh, lot of CPLs investing heavily on time-consuming, uh, error-prone, and expensive manual labor, right? For example, uh, carrier representatives, right, they need to handle lots of calls and send multiple emails uh, to move and load. Now, this can be easily handled with automation, and we can free up time to do those you know, more value-added services. 
So as you can see, right, uh, all these different technologies uh, are going to come together or they come together to impact, uh, to make the business impact. And, uh, you know, by having a partner uh, who has gone through this journey before and having a knowledge of different technologies in play uh, would help, you know, reduce TPLs to reduce the risk of failure uh, in adopting these transformation programs in the coming years. Yeah, we agree with you completely. So people who like what they're hearing right now, they, they need some more advice with this kind of stuff they like what they've heard where should we send them to uh mtech.digital that's that's our website and you can visit there or you can reach us at digital at mtechinc.com uh, and we'll be more than happy to get in uh, contact with you uh, just to summarize right uh, so we are a technology thank you thank you so much for your time today we really appreciate it i'm sorry it's a, it's a speed day we're gonna jump over to our next guest okay. super informative sorry, though thank you so much by the way, Schuler's Trucking said this summit is so informative. It is. It's so it's so informative. Some of these these sessions keep leaking over, right? I wish we had ten. I wish we had twenty. I wish we had sixty minutes with each. Yeah, one. it's hard to keep these moving as fast as we can. It is. I can speak it is. To each one of these guys for hours about it. I'd and, like to talk to Sachin about data siloing and how you make it all homogenous to even get to what he's talking about with AI and ML. It's absolutely. Well, you know who we're getting to now? We're getting to Scott Pecorillo. He's the founder and CEO over at Weather Optics, and he has a really cool story. I was looking into his background, and he had. An app called, I believe it was called like First Snow. And this is something I, growing up in Boston in the Northeast, I would have downloaded immediately because it forecasted snow closures for schools. Ah. Yeah. Hey, tell us all about it. Hey guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, really my first, my first weather venture was, uh, was an app called No Snow. Uh, and we essentially forecasted, uh, you know, school closings and delays for uh, schools all around Connecticut. So that was really my first kind of exposure into, into the weather business. Wow, and then how? So the so now what you're doing now? How did you move on to onto this program? Yeah, so that that was really the start of you know getting into this kind of impact modeling, which is what we do at Weather Optics. Um, and so back in 2017, I, I got together with a few people in uh, meteorology and data science, um, and we started developing these these impact models. And uh, you know we noticed the supply chain and logistics industry um, was one of the early areas where you know the, the weather data that they were using is uh, largely in a inadequate. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really kind of, uh, you know, something that, that we did early on. Yeah. So that, that's interesting, Scott, because I used to have to listen to the radio to find out if the schools were closed. Yeah. Right. And I grew up in the weather, in the snow belt. So it was like feet an hour before I was going to miss school. Like WBZ on in Boston. I jumped my mom's bed and just, just sit there waiting for those. Yeah. Just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, baby. (laughs) That's cool. It's awesome. Hey, this year has not been uh, without its weather. We've had some serious issues going on this Mm. year. Let's talk about that and talk about some of the costs that are related with the weather events we've seen it with, you know, we shut down Texas. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 2020 was uh, a pretty unbelievable year for, for weather events. We had 22 um, individual billion dollar events. Uh, you know, 13 of them were linked to severe weather. Uh, seven of them were due to hurricanes. If you remember, we had a, a record breaking hurricane season. We had 30 named storms, uh, 12 landfalls. Um, and, and even out west, you know, the wildfires, we had 10 million acres that burned. Uh, in total for the year 2020, we had uh, $100 billion worth of damage. Um, so it was really a, a, a tough year for weather events. Um, and this year is, is definitely not an anomaly. You know, we've been seeing for the last uh, 10 years this, this increase in these billion-dollar disasters. And um, just over the last five years, we've, we've spent, you know, $600 billion uh, in, in, in damages for, for weather events. So, um, and obviously, supply chain and logistics are, are greatly impacted, um, you know, by all of this, whether it's, you know, freight delays, uh, changes to freight capacity, uh, you know, car accidents. Um, so, so it's really been a tough year and then, you know, you factor in a, a pandemic and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been tough. You know, I was, lo- I was doing some research on, on your company. And one of the things that I found really interesting is how you're using non weather data and machine learning to help you understand weather and freight impacts. Tell me a little bit about that. How does that work? It seems, it may, it may seem a little counterintuitive. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we, we really believe that that non-weather data, accurate non-weather data is, is just as important as accurate weather data. Um, and the example that we always like to give, and, and it's, it's really relevant this year, um, you know, an inch of snow in Boston is very different from an inch of snow in Dallas, right? In, in Boston, uh, they can handle that kind of weather. Uh, in Dallas, uh, as we saw this past year, uh, it, it was really difficult for them. So it's really important to take into account these non-weather variables, you know, everything from uh, population density to storm type frequency, uh, tree height density, I mean, everything you can think of uh, and factor that in. And then we use machine learning to really fill in the gaps uh, to figure out and predict how 
different weather and non-weather variables are going to interact um, to impact freight. So that's awesome. So how do, how do you then take all that data and mix it with the weather data to predict trucking delays and help mitigate losses against those? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you know, the core of what we do is, is we produce these impact indices. So instead of giving you a, a rainfall or snowfall forecast, um, we're letting you know, you know how delayed a shipment is going to be, how dangerous the roads are, um, you know, wh- where there are going to be issues at, 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 at facilities. Um, so that's really the core of what we do. Uh, and, and, you know, our, our deliverables are super easy to kind of integrate directly into any kind of existing TMS or, or 3PL solution. And um, our goal is to really just increase visibility uh, and improve that risk mitigation uh, through this weather data. Now, speaking of weather, we're talking in the Suez Canal. You have you have uh, that evergreen vessel that got stuck sideways. They're saying 30 mile per hour winds may have may have turned that thing. That. You buy that? It, it's tough. It seems like it's uh, a little early on to to pinpoint what the issue is, but uh, it, it definitely seems like a huge problem. I heard you know you guys talking earlier about you know 10 percent of freight uh, around the world is being is being backed up there. Um, I would say 30 mile per hour winds is, are probably not the cause, but um, it'll be interesting to see you know what what they find there. You know, one of the things that put freight waves on the map for you who don't know our entire history was mm. our editorial side oh, yeah. was a story about a big hurricane, right? And the FEMA response that happened oh, yeah. in trucking. It's huge in here. And that's why we focus on it so much over at Freight Waves. And when there's a big hurricane, why we have specials? Because we know these impacts are big and getting ahead of them can save you a lot of heartache. You know, 10, what was it? $10 billion in losses over in, uh, in Texas from that, that storm, that big yeah, freeze over. Yeah, just the ice storm. Be a tough, tough, tough time. People who want to learn more, they want to predict the weather, get ahead of it all, and use those analytics. Where should we send them to? Yeah, come right to uh, uh, weatheroptics.co. That's that's .co, not .com. Uh, or you can visit us on, on social media uh, and check out our virtual booth. Happy to talk to um, anyone who's interested in in uh, getting getting more weatherized. Oh, yeah. And thanks for the memory, Jug. We appreciate you joining us here. Hopefully, we'll see you at F3, November 8th to 10th at our live event right here in Chattanooga at the Coachella of Freight. I'm glad you mentioned that. There's a bunch of boots. So if, you, if you're on live.freightwaves.com, right, you can scroll down. There is that thing called the icebreaker. If you found that, you're almost there. Yeah. Scroll down just a little bit more, and you're going to find all of the virtual boots where you can talk to many of our speakers here. You can have one-on-one sessions. If you heard something during our speed dating sessions here on What the Truck that you really liked, a lot of the people who have been on here actually have boots down there, so you can get those conversations answered. I think even some of the speakers themselves are managing those things. And we have one more guest right now. It is Bill Cantinia. He's the founder and CEO over at at OneRail. Hey, uh, Bill, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Hey, I dig the shirt. Thank you. Hey, got to take advantage of the branding opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, beautiful. So you're a founder. And every time I have a founder on, I have to ask them, what is the why? Why did you start OneRail? Yeah, I started. It's really more how the journey started. So I have a career of startups. My last startup today is processing a you know the vast portion of the digital coupon redemptions in the United States and about 40,000 stores. I had about a year between that one and this one, and I happened to be standing in a home improvement store. Uh, we won't say which one. And they said it would take 10 days for me to have a refrigerator delivered. And I just couldn't believe it. I had no intention on going down a path. You know, here I am five years later. Uh, the refrigerator uh, was really the catalyst for that. Um, but it wasn't until the last couple of years that really got our arms around where the biggest problem was. And it comes down to the matching of supply and demand and sort of taking all the friction out of delivery. Um, there's a lot of great couriers out there. There's a lot of great carriers. But being able to match that the right way with the demand signal and then making it just work uh, so that the customer's happy is the challenge. I love it. How many times have we had founders on who they started their company because of some real world problem? And they're like, well, if nobody's going to fix it, then I'll do it my damn self. Yeah, (laughs) I'm always doing it myself. It's not one thing. It's another. Yeah. So those of you two with ideas, dreamers out there, if there's a problem that you recognize, hey, you got a business idea, an opportunity. Every founder is the exact same. Well, most founders are the exact same. It was just an idea and they brought it to life. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, Bill, you're going through this and you've started it and you've learned quite a bit about what happens in the pain points with shippers, et cetera. At what point does a shipper just need, they always want more supply, more supply, more capacity, et cetera. At what point is it that they say, wait a minute, I need a platform. I need some efficiency here. Yeah, great question. So you can solve a lot of your problems if you're a smaller shipper and, and you know, you just need to find a courier. There's a lot of great courier networks out there. There's companies out there that can solve the problem, whether it's a gig economy courier or, or a more traditional courier that has fixed assets. Where we find we solve the biggest problem 
is where scale has reached such a point that the shipper can't keep track of all their couriers anymore. They can't manage them at an SLA level. So they know, you know, for example, if they're offering a two-hour delivery guarantee, what markets are doing better than others? If you have a troubled market, how can you improve that quality? And so what we find is a platform like OneRail uses data. It's a data-driven, logic, rules engine-driven platform that says, hey, wait a minute, you know, SLAs are slipping in Chattanooga. We need to find more supply immediately. And that supply has to be able to do exactly what it's supposed to do, whether it's, you know, accessorials like assembly or it's a two-hour speedy delivery. Uh, it has to be able to perform at the level the customer expects. And then having the ability to immediately access that supply in milliseconds uh, and then track it all the way through to proof of delivery. We found that that COVID was a catalyst for needing platforms. There was a lot of shippers, a lot of retailers, notably, that went down the path of engaging, you know, many different couriers. You know, we found some retailers that had 100 delivery companies they were working with, and they're managing it in Excel. And it's like, you can't manage it in Excel when when volume is doubling and tripling over the matter of months. So what happened was it accelerated retail roadmaps, it accelerated shipper roadmaps, and it's made platforms, you know, orchestration platforms, notably, it's put them front and center. You know, a lot of people are in that position, right, where you try to get that refrigerator and it, and it took X amount of time. Well, I'm in the process of moving into a house. I had to get a washer and dryer for the house. And yeah. so many of the units I was looking at are sold out. Nike comes in, their inventory sold out. So you're talking about durable, heavy goods like that. But you're also talking about this big inventory problem that's happening. A lot of the supply chain is strained, right? Um, what has been some of that COVID impact on that final mile? So the the first thing that we saw was, you know, there was an there was an immediate squeeze on capacity. You know, there's only so many trucks, and there's only so many ways to reach those trucks. So for for customers that we have now that that didn't have a platform, then they were really struggling to meet that capacity need. You saw like Instacart, for example, you know, kind of a one threaded network. They have it's Instacart and it's Instacart drivers. They don't use other networks. So with Instacart, there was four, five, six days that you'd go without deliveries. Retailers can't do that. You know, when customers need things, you got to be able to deliver them, uh, you know, that day at least. And so not having a backup plan, you know, is really where, where, where the biggest pain point is. Um, so when you start to see, you know, a total collapse of SLAs and multiple days of outages, that's what COVID did is it shocked the supply chain. And so now what's happened is you're finding Delivery networks in general are more responsive with a platform. They're more fluid. You can be more fluid and strategic with your inventory. Look what Target's done. Look at how Target has been rewarded, uh, you know, on the market for being able to have a micro fulfillment network. You know, they've been probably one of the best. So it's really fluidity and, and adaptation is what's is what COVID taught everybody. You need to have fluidity and you need to have adaptation and capacity. Yeah, I bet a bunch of that was baptism by fire as well. I bet you got a lot of people who are like, whoa, things change really quickly. I need to figure out my final mile because they weren't final mile before, right? Like you say, Target. There was a little bit of that there, but there wasn't, you know, the, suddenly nobody's in the brick and mortar and you're buying online trying to get this stuff done. When you're talking to people about, uh, uh, you know, their own fleet, their private fleet versus, uh, you know, outsourced fleets, is this something that works with both of those internal and external fleets or internal fleets? Hey, we already have our own internal fleet. We don't need optimization. We already know what's going on. Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the biggest problems we're solving are retailers that have their own fleet that want to be able to optimize delivery to take advantage of their fleet, to fully utilize it, but also have access to additional capacity. We have a lot of uh, customers that are coming to us saying, hey, we want to reduce our fleet you know, in an era when delivery, you know, is skyrocketing, we think we can reduce the size of our fleet, just make it more efficient, and then rely on all these great third-party couriers that are out there. Again, there's some amazing networks, networks like Dropoff and Freight, Pickup, uh, companies like Epic One, that's a little small regional carrier that's added almost 10 trucks since we've been working with them. So being able to reach those guys, you know, and not have to have as many of their of their own trucks on the balance sheet and employees when they only really are needed for three hours of the day, that's where we're solving a problem and we're doing it in a split second uh, when that order comes through. Bill, thank you so much for all this information. If people have more questions about this, they want to connect with you, where should we send them to? 
Well, you, today you can see us and tomorrow at the, the 3PL Summit at Freight Waves. You can stop by our booth, but you can always find us online, onerail.io, and uh, we'd, we'd be happy to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Take care. Take it easy. Wait, this is, this is a one-day event, isn't it? I think so. Okay. I was like, that's news. What am I doing tomorrow here? This is, I think this is a one-day event. Um, but yeah, like you said, you can, reach out, you can reach out to him anytime. If not, I'll find out what we're up to tomorrow. But yeah. I don't think so. I think it's just today. I think it is. He's talking, you know, we're talking about inventory in that segment, right? Yeah. I just read this. Approximately 44% of shoppers said they would start their holiday shopping even earlier for the 2021 holidays this year. And that's significant because if you remember last year, we were talking about that 75-day peak season kicked off by Amazon Prime oh, yeah, Day. Yeah, Amazon yeah. They, Prime yeah. Day, if you remember, started late due to the pandemic. Yeah, they brought it forward amazingly. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that could put a lot more pressure on things, right? you got stimulus checks as well that are coming out, right? Sure. To hit capacity. And that's yeah. what we're talking about with, you know, uh, you had that dip in containers down to, what, 17 uh, container ships that were sitting in San Pedro Bay like a oh, week no, ago well, or something yeah, now like there's that. 20, but they're back to 26. Now they're back to 26, and you got stimulus checks coming out, and you've got inventories that are low, and then you've got people going to start shopping now for the holiday season this year. Uh, yeah. And look, Big I, pressure. Left and right, I'm seeing people that I follow on social media talk about they had a similar problem to me. I went to buy that washer and dryer, right? I went to Home Depot. Half their stock was sold out. Yeah. The models we want, my wife is particular about this stuff, that was sold out. So we had to go to Lowe's to find it over there. They had it. But this, this tells me with all these ships stuck there, are they going to have it a month from now, two months from now? Look at people getting furniture. They're like, I just ordered a couch. It's not going to show yeah. up for two months. Now, all these, realtor, all, these, all these retailers, they get, I think they're starting to get a little antsy about this too because the customer takes it out on them. Just like the shipper always takes it out on the supply chain provider, the customer is going to take it out on the retailer. They're not going to call up Sage Robinson and be like, hey, why did, why did your logistics department fail us? Yeah, you're exactly right. And then guess who's got to come in and save the day? The final mile guys have got to come in and save the day. They're the guys that take the heat, they right? Do. They've got to pick up the slack. Well, think about it, too. I mean, final mile, like, here is the risk in final mile. When you have someone come over, you're going into the most intimate of places. You are going into their home in a lot of these situations, these white glove things. So if you have a provider and they give a negative experience to that customer, they're not going to blame the delivery company. They're going to blame you. Pick your partners wisely. Listen closely at events like this. It's crucially important. People are very fluid. It's very easy for them to switch services and to switch who they buy from, and they'll do it in a heartbeat these days. They will do it in a heartbeat, and one of the key things is don't leave them hanging. You know, one of the most frustrating things, and I know you've had this frustration as well, when, you're, uh, when your gaming system was coming in for Christmas, yeah. it, it was here, it was there, and then all of a sudden it's at your front door. Yeah, yeah. You don't know where it is. Give visibility, at least set the expectations correctly, right? Hey, like we said, What the Truck happens three days a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, noon Eastern time. Friday on the show, we're having Dan Lewis, CEO and founder at Convoy. We have Chris Lee, he's Senior Transportation Specialist, over at Aritzia, and then we have uh, Vitaly Baker. He's a senior transportation specialist as well. I'm sorry, Chris Lee's with ARL Logistics. Ah. Vitaly Baker, he is with Aritzia. So that's going to be a great session. You know, talk about um, digital freight matching, digital freight brokerage, as we got into today. Hey, we're going to get deep in the weeds on that with Dan over at Convoy. Yeah, and that's, that's something I really want to get into is that because that we'll learn a lot about DFM. Yeah. Folks, you want, you want this show on demand? Look up What the Truck on your favorite podcast player of choice. Every single episode's there. We have over 280 of them. Or, or if you want every single FreightWaves podcast all in one feed for no cost more, look up FreightCast. It'll have every single session from this event. But not only that, it'll have every single session from every event we have ever done. Whoa! Live.freightways.com, register, win that Roomba. Good luck to you. I can't wait to draw it later. At Timothy Dooner on the Twitter. That's D-O-O-N-E-R, at Vincent the Dude. Tell him. Peace and love, everybody. Peace and love. <laughs>